Welcome to the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, where it's all about slashing your debt, slashing your taxes, and creating a liberated lifestyle. And now, your host, who met his wife while training for the 400 meters in Seattle and is eating gluten-free while lusting after bread, Dave Denniston. My name is Dave Denniston, your host, and welcome back to the latest episode of the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast. And well, my friends, welcome back to our monthly fireside chat with a physician to get to know their journey, their joys, and their struggles with finances and, of course, outside of finances. Now, the show, we talk a lot about actionable content, and today, this is a chance for you to see behind the curtains and to really walk in another person's shoes and experience their lives. Now, our next guest, he is just right down the road an hour or two away from me here in Minnesota. He is an anesthesiologist and of course he has a passion for beer. And before too long, he's just going to have a passion for beer. Just kidding. I think he has a few other things going on too. Uh, anyhow, he has been focusing on financial independence by retiring early. So by day, he is the physician version of a Clark Kent or a Bruce Wayne, but by night and over the internet, you may call him physician on fire. And he is on the verge of retiring well before he is 50 years old. So I can't wait to hear about this journey. Please help me welcome physician on fire. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you, David. That was quite an introduction uh, and I'm happy to be here. So thank you for the invitation. So the question is, are you Bruce Wayne or are you Clark Kent? I am neither, man. I'm just an ordinary, <laughs> average guy who happens to save a decent amount of money. Uh, there you go. There you go. Well, I, I'd love to, to tap into your wisdom today, my friend, and your journey, because this podcast, of course, is about empowering doctors with knowledge so they can slash their debt, slash their taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. So before we get into content, before we get into awesome advice, first, just tell us about you. For people who may not know you, where'd you grow up and, and what was it like for you growing up? Well, I grew up uh, right here in Minnesota and uh, we lived in southern Minnesota, but spent a lot of time in northern Minnesota too, which is where I ended up settling down at this point in my career. Uh, my dad was a dentist, and so was his father, and my mother was a nurse, so health care was, uh, you know, just kind of part of the family tradition, and my mother's dad was actually a physician as well. Um, I had a great childhood, uh, you know, like I say, with uh, with a dentist and a nurse uh, for parents, we, we lived pretty well. Um, I try to tell people that we didn't necessarily have the silver spoon in our mouths when we were born and even though we we had uh you know more than enough money to get by we still learned to find value look for deals out there my parents uh kind of like me they they had you know good jobs actually my mom stayed home for the most part and raised us but uh you know my dad made good money as a dentist and uh but he didn't show it you know by night he was also an ordinary average guy wearing you know flannel and uh using a chainsaw to cut down <laughs> trees and <laughs> fixing cars with his buddy who was an auto mechanic. Um, so we spent a lot of time going to garage sales, hitting up every Goodwill and Salvation Army between Southern and Northern Minnesota. And, and so uh, while we, you know, we did have a pretty, uh, pretty comfortable upbringing, we, we also learned to uh, you know, save money and spend wisely. Mm. So was was that like with your dad being a dentist and he was sounds like he was more in, in kind of the rural areas, so he wasn't 
so much in, in like the Twin Cities. Is that right? Right. Yeah, we were a good hour hour away from the Twin Cities. Was that something where um, you spent a lot of time with your folks? You know, at at the dentist office, at the hospital. You know, what, was that something kind of ingrained in you from the beginning? Hanging uh, out with- yeah. To some extent, um, we lived a couple miles out of town, out, up a big hill, and uh, I remember being about the age my kids are now, and we would bike <laughs> two miles downhill into town in, in the summertime and, and goof around all day in town, you know, going to baseball and and just playing with our friends, and then meet up at the dental office in the afternoon and hang out until he was done and get a ride home, because biking uphill is not nearly as much fun as biking downhill. and. And then that's it. Yeah, we spent a lot of time as a family um, going up north. Like I said, uh, we spent time up up in northern Minnesota where my parents actually had a little uh, lake cabin, which they've now retired to. So a good deal of our summers before we were old enough to have jobs were spent uh, together up north, you know, canoeing, camping, uh, cutting wood, like I mentioned earlier, you you name it. So it sounds like, I mean, really for you growing up, and there's a lot of hard work um, uh, around being part of your family. You, you weren't just sitting around playing video games all day. Uh, we did some of that too, but um, yeah, I don't want to say it was hard work, but there were there were certain expectations, and you know, I, I you know, I mowed the lawn for a long time. My grandparents too, and I was I was paid some for that. Again, learning the the value of work, and uh, yeah, oftentimes on a Saturday morning we'd wake up to the uh, the alarm of the uh, the chainsaw, and that meant it was time to go out and <laughs> pull brush and move logs, and throw them in the trailer different different upbringing i mean for me i think about myself i grew up in southern california you know nothing but suburban area right there was right. no chainsaws going on right yeah uh, so it's all relative i mean i had friends that were farm kids that did 10 or 20 times the amount of manual labor that i did as a, as a kid you know but but uh yeah it wasn't a, a purely southern california suburban upbringing either somewhere in between how do you think of that for your kids today? You know, as you look at yourself, I mean, are you having your kids uh, waking up with the chainsaw sometimes? What does that look like for you? <laughs> I'm not as hardcore as my father, but yeah, they're just they're six and eight years old right now, so we're we're just kind of getting to where they can uh, be a, a little more uh, handy and useful. Um, although we've we've had little chores for them all along, like you know, learning to clean up their room, and and then along you know the whole learning about value we we try to teach them from a very young age like what a dollar is worth and they have an allowance the, they have the spend jar the save jar and the give jar so they learn about giving and they learn about uh like say they see a pack of pokemon cards at the grocery store i want that i want that okay but let's look them up on ebay when we get home and instead of eight cards in a pack for four dollars you're gonna get a hundred cards for five dollars, <laughs> you know. So, yeah, we're trying to to teach them similar ideals, and when they're just a little bit older, yeah, they'll be mowing lawns and and probably uh, hauling wood too. One thing you might be interested in, I was um, just checking out um, Smart Passive Income podcast. They had a challenge on there, and um, mm-hmm. I'm going to do an episode on this with my daughter. She recently broke something in our shower, ooh, and um, I'm going to have her earn it. By an entrepreneurial venture, which basically the idea is, you find items on sale uh, through a retail store, and then you do a r- arbitrage turnaround and sell that through Amazon. Um, yeah, like the FBA. Yeah, that's that's good. Uh, that's a good idea. So something to think about. I'm going to try it yeah. out. And see how it goes. Um, that's great. Well, anyhow, um, as you grew up, so I imagine you're sitting in your dad's 
office, you know, you're playing with toys, hanging out with buddies. Was that something where it's like you knew you wanted to be a dentist or in medicine, wear the white coat? What was that like? I think so. You know, I always did pretty darn well in school academically, and I enjoyed science as much or more than any other, uh, you know, discipline. So it was not a stretch for me to go down that path. Uh, I interestingly, I didn't I didn't consider dentistry all that strongly. I had an older brother who had tossed around the idea for a little while, so maybe that's why I chose to go a different path. But I thought doctor most of my upbringing. There was a, a time I can remember, I think it was the 1984 Olympics when there was a really good men's gymnastics team. And at that time, I thought when I grew up, I'd want to be either a gymnast or a uh, comedian. It was kind of the two. <laughs> I was trying to decide between the two. And at the times, I was mowing lawns professionally. But uh, yeah, I ended up doing none of those things. So, But I think that's okay. Well, you know, I think the comedy um, really comes comes across in your blog, though. I still see that influence, you know, and in, in terms of, of what you're doing. So you've, you've come around full circle, I think, in terms of uh, adding some of that to your... Well, thank you for that. I do try to uh, keep readers at least somewhat entertained because, you know, this is a dry topic that we're discussing. And so, yeah, if I can, you know give you a little chuckle, or at least give myself a chuckle as I'm writing it, because I, I, I do have fun uh, just coming up with different ideas and uh, little inside jokes, and, and if, if those catch on with the reader, well, that's that's great. So here's the question. Is your budget sexy? <laughs> no, there's no such thing. Um, I suppose it is sexy to have the confidence uh, that comes from having a budget and then having money uh, set aside. But yeah, I, I wrote a post that says no budgets are not sexy. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to get it published as a guest post on budgets are sexy, but apparently people don't like it when you kind of discount the whole premise of their site. <laughs> oh, I loved it. I think uh, everyone should check out that post. We will link to it in the show notes. I was laughing. That was hilarious. Thank um, you. Um, so. When you were growing up, you're, you're going through high school. Um, when you w- applied to be undergrad, did you know at that point that medicine was it? Uh, or were you still um, twirling around with the gymnastics and comedian idea? Well, I had uh, I'd kind of given up on the whole pommel horse thing. Um, I did actually do, I think, a year or two uh, at the local college. They had like a kids' gymnastics thing, and a few of us uh, that were also in wrestling did uh, did gymnastics. It might have been one or two years, and we never really got very good. So that was done. Uh, I, I briefly entertained the idea of business and like advertising specifically, and I think that's probably about the time that uh, Super Bowl commercials were selling for a million dollars for a 30-second segment. I thought, hmm, I, I could I could work uh, four minutes a year and make uh, $8 million, right? So I should, maybe I'll do that. Uh, but I realized that wasn't really going to happen either. So yeah, I, I, by the time I started college, um, I was pre-med all the way. And um, from from your blog posts and stuff, um, I think you, you tell a little bit more about this journey. You got some scholarships getting into undergrad, right? I did. I had full tuition uh, for four years. Uh, there was a Robert C. Byrd scholarship. It was another, I think, 1500 a year. Uh, quite a few one-time uh, scholarships from various local organizations and endowed scholarships and, and that sort of thing. So yeah, I, I also had a, a bit of money from 
my grandfather, when he passed away, he left money for his three grandkids. So I had about $40,000 worth over six years of uh, additional help with tuition and everything else. So I finished undergrad uh, in the black, and then it wasn't until medical school that I actually started taking on debt. As, as I think about kids and money, I mean, obviously you were intentional about money even at that stage, uh, because a lot of people would have just bought a new car, right? And the money's yeah. gone. Yeah, and I, you know, I looked at a lot of uh, kind of higher caliber private colleges, and and where I was accepted, some of them. And you know, once I had a an offer for a full ride at the University of Minnesota, I thought. Mm, those other colleges look good, but hey, this was good enough for my dad and his dad, my mom too. So uh, I think the U would be just fine and ended up being a really good choice for me. So what what lesson do you take from that, that as you look at, at physicians, obviously they're well past that stage, but their kids are working towards that stage. A lot of our listeners, you know, they're 35, 40, they have a couple of kids that are around uh, our kids' age, you know, right. one, one to 15. Um, mm-hmm. What what would you say to them in terms of advice of thinking about um, trying to get their kids in the black, you know, as they look at undergraduate? Right. Well, yeah, and, and then when you look at medical school costs, the, the average debt back when I finished of the indebted student was about 95000 or or 100000 coming out, and that's double already. That's close yeah. to 200000 <laughs> um, Yeah, as far as education, I think there are a, probably a few disciplines where – the Ivy League education is going to make a big difference, you know, in terms of networking, you know, in finance or Wall Street or, yeah, I'm sure there are, you know, a handful of uh, disciplines where that's maybe really important, but for 95% or more of us, you know, it's about the education and it's about the person uh, more than anything else. And so you can get a good education at, you know, most flagship public universities and and even you know a state school for oh it depends on what you want to do but a lot of my med school classmates they went to uh you know the not even the flagship state university but other public universities or or small colleges and i think we put a little too much stock in getting into the best college or having the lowest you know student to teacher ratio or did I have that backwards? Anyway, you know, I was in biology with 500 other kids, and I, that was just fine with me. You know, depends on the student, but but yeah, you can get through college on you know 10,000 a year or 50,000 a year, and you do have a fair amount of say in which of those happens, or at least your kid does. And if it's your kid, hopefully you have some say too. Well, and the thing that that I really want to want to just pound the table on for people is obviously with a price tag of $50,000 a year, even $25,000 a year. I really even wonder, the is the price of a college education worth it for some kids, right? I mean... Yeah, the return on investment there, if you're going to the most expensive private college, taking out loans all the way through, and not finishing with a degree that translates well into a good-paying job, then, then maybe not. But on the other hand, there certainly are a lot of uh, data to suggest you know, that college graduates earn more than high school graduates who earn more than high school dropouts, you know, and then graduate students or those who have finished uh, graduate school earn more. So there is a, a relationship there, but it depends on, again, the job. There are 
as you said, entrepreneurial type jobs that don't require a college education. You know, Mark Zuckerberg found one, did pretty well with it. So did uh, <laughs> Bill Gates and, uh, you know, a bunch of others. But yeah, no, you're right. You're right. And the more you, the more you put into that education, uh, the more you're going to need to get out of it to make it a good investment. All right. Well, let's take pause here for a second and go to our commercial break. Well, if you are like some members of my audience, you are committed to being an amazing doctor and succeeding at life. But the truth is you've never received financial training during medical school and you struggle with enough time to do it all. And well, my friend, about a year ago, I started offering my book, The Freedom Formula for Physicians, for only a dollar plus shipping. Well, this offer, it's coming to an end. And so only through the end of August, you can still pick up my book, The Freedom Formula for Physicians, for only a dollar. That's right, the whole copy, a physical copy to hold in your hands for only a dollar plus shipping. And actually, that's only just part of this incredible deal because I throw in a bonus electronic copy completely for free so you can start reading it immediately. But there's a problem. This is coming to an end. So make sure you take me up on this offer. Are you ready to pick up this book and get the financial training that you've desired? You can visit the podcast website now at www.drfreedombook.com to pick up your copy, or you can simply text Dr. Book to 44222. Don't let this podcast, my friend, be like other ones where you hear great information, you get some new ideas, but you never actually complete anything. To snag your copy now, visit www.drfreedombook.com or text Dr. Book to 44222. Now, um, take us to the point, you're in medical school now, and you started a residency, um, so you have a, a positive net worth at this point, negative net worth, where, where are you at at this stage in the journey? After medical school, um, I had spent um, all of the money that was given to me my, by uh, my grandpa uh, when he passed away uh, 20 years earlier. And I think I had about $60,000 in student loan debt at that point. Uh, yeah. Which I think many, many people did. I mean, obviously, college costs have gone up from the time that you've come out. Um, but still, uh, that was relatively a drop in the bucket, wasn't it? You know, to, to get started on the right foot. Right, yeah. I mean, if it wasn't for uh, the, the money I had you know, been given by family, I would have had 100000 in debt. And that, would, that was about average at the time. You know, and that's even after going to public school and having all those scholarships and making a lot of good choices, living in crappy apartments in Dinky Town <laughs> and uh, Seven Corners there right next to uh, campus. So I didn't have to have a car for most of that time. Anyway, yeah. So, I mean, and again, it's, it's uh, now double or more for people that are coming out now. So I, I do, uh, do definitely feel for them. Well, how much do you think... Um, at that point, were you like zeroed in on that debt at that point? Or were you kind of like, yeah, I'll take care of it as things go along? How are you thinking about debt, you know, at, at that stage in your journey? Well, I, I knew I was going to have a six-figure career of some kind. I didn't know what specialty I might end up in at the time. But, you know, even pediatricians and family practitioners, 
who are at the low end of the pay scale were making at least 100000 a year. So I wasn't terribly concerned about uh, eliminating that debt as soon as possible. I did end up choosing anesthesia, and I had refinanced those loans down to, I think it was around 2%. It was very, very low. Uh, I think it was actually a consolidation through the the government student loan program that they used to offer. And so I let that ride just paying the 300 bucks a month or whatever it was on a 25-year repayment plan. Uh, and I did that until just uh, maybe three or four years ago when I got tired of sending that check out every month and just <laughs> paid it off with one fell swoop. Because at that point, you know, once I was closing in on maybe a seven-figure net worth, then the 60 grand wasn't so uh, much of a, a, a burden, more of a drop in the bucket, as you said. So it really sounds like um, the interest rate was super low, about yeah. 2%. Um, so you weren't really concerned about that uh, for quite a while, even uh, after you transitioned to practice. No, I just, uh, you know, and I, of course in my head I'm kind of doing the math. Well, stock market should return maybe, you know, 6 to 8%, and I'm only paying 2% on it. You know, unfortunately I made or fortunately, I made too much money to make it, uh, you know, uh, tax deductible interest, uh, which if you make less money than a physician, you can deduct your student loans, make them even more favorable to hang on to. Uh, so the math favored keeping those loans as long as possible. But and it's the same thing with, with mortgage interest, which I've also decided not to carry because, again, I just, uh, I think there's a value in being completely debt-free, even if the... Uh, numbers might suggest you'll come up with a little bit more money if you keep those loans and invest the difference. Uh, I'm I'm very happy to not owe any money to anybody. So tell us more about that decision. So mathematically, you know, you look at the numbers and you should have not paid it off. It sounds like, but you chose to anyhow. So tell us more about that decision of of why you chose to uh, pay it off and why being debt free was important to you. Sure. Uh, at some point, uh, I just looked at where I was and maybe I was 35 and I knew about how much we had saved up and how much debt I had and and just made the decision one day to be debt-free by 40 and that's a post of mine too debt-free by 40 and I kind of talk about how I um, realized I just didn't want to have that burden didn't want to be writing those checks you know, the student loan checks were only 300 a month. The mortgage was more like 3000 a month. Mm. I didn't want that going out every month. And, and uh, I've read a number of threads in the meantime uh, on different forums like Bogleheads and White Coat Investor where everyone that said they paid off their loans, even though they knew that they probably could have made more money in the stock market and in hindsight would have, they have zero regrets. <laughs> and they sleep well at night knowing that the house they're sleeping in is 100% their own and that uh, they have already paid back uh, every bit of money they borrowed to get through school. And so I feel the same way. Now, yeah, a few years ago, the stock market went up 35%. It would have been nice to have a huge student loan balance and all the mortgage I could get and have all that money invested. Uh, but at the same time, you know, you, we only know how well the market did three years ago in hindsight. So, you know, paying off those... Uh, those debts are, are, it's really like getting a guaranteed return. So if your loans are at 6.8%, like a lot of uh, the federal loans are these days, you know, when you pay that money off, you're, you're getting a guaranteed 68 which you can't even get half that guaranteed anywhere else. 
That's right. Well, I think uh, that's that's exactly where I go, and I think th- what I look at for doctors is it gives them flexibility. I think um, in terms of having less obligations, uh, which right. I think you kind of yeah. Um, and then to. when you get your paycheck, you uh, you keep a lot more of it when you're not paying a mortgage and you're not paying your student loans anymore. Well, and you look at it, if you take money from another pot, right, and you have a really bad year, that really can compound um, the issue if you mm-hmm. still have, have obligations um, in the future. So um, I think you might look at it mathematically. On average, that could be true, but in a really bad year, um, that could be painful. Right, and the sequence of returns certainly plays a role, too. So you, you never know what you're going to get. No, no, absolutely not. So let's say that, uh, we, let's just time flip on you here, physician on fire. <laughs> let's time flip on you. And um, let's say that you were someone that today had $200,000 um, in residency at 6.8%. What would you, how would you be thinking about that now? So let's let's play with that scenario. So you are a uh, newly minted resident. What, how would you be thinking about that 6.8% $200,000 debt? Well, as a newly minted resident, there, there's not much you can do to pay it down, right? Because you're, you're making enough money to live an okay, a decent lifestyle and uh, hopefully make your student loan payments as well. Uh, and there are different options of... Um, forbearance or maybe deferment depending on your situation but what I would be focused on is trying to lower that interest rate and it's easier to do once you're finished residency there are more uh, refinancing companies that will will take those loans and give you a better rate Uh, I believe there's at least one that will do it in residency I want to say that's DRB yeah but I uh you know, I, I haven't, since that isn't a huge part of my story, I haven't focused as much as some uh, of the other physician uh, personal finance bloggers on that issue, but I did take all the good posts I can find and put them in one place on my site, so they're linked out too, and uh, that kind of serves as a resource. Since I don't have the time or haven't found it yet to really uh, become an expert, on the various acronyms and uh, all the different facets of each of the different uh, refinancing companies to to really give out like specific information to people. Let's say, well, I have this amount of debt, and I'm looking at PSLF, but what if I did this? And it gets uh, it gets very complicated. You need to know a lot about that person's um, financial picture to really to really answer some of those questions. But um, specifically, uh, as a starting resident. I would do what I can to refinance, and you can always refinance again. Now, the alternative is if you are looking at potentially, and now this may disappear, but the Public Student Loan Forgiveness Program, PSLF, uh, if you're going to enter that, then you can't do the refinancing. Uh, So, you know, if you were going to do a six or seven year residency plus fellowship and you're working at an eligible institution that's nonprofit as a resident and fellow, uh, then you'd only need three or four more years working for a nonprofit, which many, many hospitals are technically uh, nonprofit hospitals, uh, in order to get uh, a decent portion of those loans forgiven. Now, again, that's very much in question if that'll even be an option for residents that are, are starting, say, this summer or next summer. Um, and it's not even guaranteed necessarily for those that are currently in um, the PSLF program, 
but uh, most people seem to think it will be grandfathered in, um, that you'll be able to finish out and have the forgiveness if you've already entered uh, the program. So that remains to be seen. So in your particular case as an anesthesiologist, would you, do you think if you're, if you're in that shoes knowing you have $200,000 in debt, would you go for public student loan forgiveness or it sounds like you might be leaning towards I, just refund. Where would you in lean? Anesthesia, I might not. There are more. I'd say there are a higher percentage of jobs that are not working for a nonprofit in anesthesia compared to, let's say, internal medicine or uh, a number of other specialties. Basically, the more more specialized you are, the, the more likely you are to be in a private practice as opposed to employed. Um, so I do know I'm personally working for a nonprofit, but when I started, I did purely locum tenens work as a, an independent contractor. So that work would not have qualified me anyway. Um, yeah, and then it's only a four-year residency for anesthesia, so you'd need to do another six years in uh, working for a nonprofit to potentially qualify. So that, yeah, it's maybe not the best situation. Well, it's, it's so interesting to, to think about, and I know there's a lot of doctors I've talked with saying, I could go either way, right? They, they mm-hmm. might do private practice or they might do um, public um, nonprofit right. work. Um, so it's, it's a conundrum. And um, I guess what I encourage everyone to think about is just crunch the numbers and um, hedge your bets. I mean, I, I would often think that if you are going for public student loan forgiveness program, you might want to save a slush fund on the side uh, more so than some of your peers just to Exactly. Invest in in a taxable account or have some available money that you can use if uh, P.S. Sevilloff does uh, fall apart and not not work out for you. Absolutely. So um, what do you think in your life, Physician on Fire, what has been um, the most important aspect about money to you? You know, I guess really when I look at money, it's it's uh, it's what it can do for me and what it can do for my family. You know, I, I look at uh, money as you know being somewhat equivalent to time now. You know, I used to take a lot of my time and turn it into money. Uh, now that I have money, I'm taking back some of my time. So I'll be working part-time starting this fall, which I think will be wonderful and will give me more time to do things that I want to do and just haven't found the time or made the time to do. And on top of that, you know, I'm in a position where I, I feel I have all that I need as far as maintaining our current lifestyle, being financially independent, and, and then a little more. So I think about money in terms of what it can do for, for other people. You know, uh, $100 or, you know, even $1,000 that, you know, I might donate. Well, it, it maybe doesn't do that much for me. It's a small percentage of what I now uh, have earned and saved up. But it can serve a whole lot of meals at the soup kitchen or, you know, pay someone's electric bill, you know, something like that. So uh, I can use money to do good for, for others as well. And that that is something I haven't had a ton of time to do a lot of volunteering, but uh, I plan to do more, uh, you know, personal volunteering too once I'm working less or not working at all. So what fires you up then in terms of that side of, side of it? What kind of things do you want to volunteer in? Uh, well, one thing I, I've, I haven't done before and I certainly could have found a way. I just didn't make it a priority, but is to, before I actually retire, go do some um, anesthesia work in a, an impoverished country. So 
looking into potential options in Central and South America, uh, and then I want to do uh, an experience that will allow me to perform anesthesia, but also allow me to take my family and, you know, they may be helping out an, an orphanage or, or doing something uh, different or just playing with kids and or watching kids so that the parents can go work, you know, during the time that we're there. So uh, that's what I'd like to do. Um, involving the family, I think, is, is really important, showing our kids who are, you know, they're growing, they're going to grow up kind of like I did with uh, um, all the advantages of a sort of a middle to upper middle class upbringing. And so I want them to see uh, a different side of things so you know we've gone to the local soup kitchen a handful of times and and help prepare and serve the the meal um, and there happens to be a, an old piano in the corner so the boys would play piano and oh. entertain the uh the guests as they come in and um, yeah so just uh what else could i do i don't know you know there's a lot of things i can do but for each hour I work in anesthesia, you know that that hires uh, quite a few number, uh, quite a few people to do other, other work at an hourly rate much lower than mine. So I've done more with my money than my time, but I'd like to do a little more of both. So how do you think about like going to halftime? Is that something that they they definitely want you on? You know, like halftime, do you get any pushback at all? Saying, well, gosh, we need you here three quarters time. I mean, how how have those conversations gone? Um, as as you've been looking to uh, make this transition? You know, it went really smoothly. It was really more of a casual conversation that I, I was having with uh, one of my colleagues. And, uh, you know, I said, yeah, I, th I think whenever, you know, one of our partners is ready to go part-time, you know, I, I'd be ready to do that too. And he said, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know if you necessarily need one of us to go part-time with you when we hire somebody. You know, we could probably share that responsibility among you know two or more and so at first we were thinking he and one other partner would each pick up 20 percent extra work because actually they were already working uh, as locums elsewhere a little bit extra to make additional income and their hospital said no you can't do that anymore uh, so they were wanting to work more for more money and I said, well, that, yeah, that'd be great, you know, so I could go to a 0.6 and they would each work a 1.2. Uh, and then in talking with the rest of the group, uh, we learned that they all wanted to do a little extra. So each of my four partners will be working an additional 10% uh, and I will be working 40% less. So it'll be a 0.6 for me. And uh, the way our schedule works out, I'll be able to take off pretty big chunks of time to do like, for example, we might go to Peru this fall. Um, do a, a week of anesthesia time and then also maybe sneak over to Machu Picchu and see some other nice. uh, great historical sites too. That'll be fantastic travel. Yeah, I hope it works out. You, you're gonna have to change to a travel blog and give us- You know, it, it'll transition. The blog will, will grow with me definitely and there will be more of that. You know, I'll still talk about the financial implications and how we got to the position of being able to do these things, but but yeah, I'll definitely include, and you know, photography is kind of a passion of mine, so posts that describe what we're doing, where we've been, and uh, how we're using financial independence to uh, to create this life will we'll definitely be, be featured as we uh, go forward. Well, I'd love to know, as, as you look at you know your partners who want to do more, do more work and take on more work, uh, are these these partners around the same age, younger, older? Help help describe kind of the, the situation and how you would compare kind of your financial situation versus kind of some of your partners around you. Um, sure. Uh, 
I'll be a little careful as to how much I say, uh, but I would say that um, career-wise, I have the second longest career of, of uh, hmm. the group, and I know... Young group. I'm, yep, we're a young group, and and the, there's definitely student loan debt out there, and uh, you know I think they're still tackling that, like, like we talked about quite a bit already. It's a big burden, so... Uh, and there are other expenses that, you know, to each individual person that they might have that I might not. So, yeah, and, and by only working 10% more, I, I don't know how much they'll really notice. It'll be more noticeable for me because I'm the one person making a major change, whereas they're maybe picking up a shift or two each month. I'm, I'm going to drop almost half of mine. Isn't that something? Well, I think... As you look at lifestyle choices, you know, it's it's one of those those things that really I believe can determine when you retire, whether it's the car that you drive or the uh the house that you buy. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. And uh you know, where I am a lot of the physicians uh choose to live on uh, the lake or uh, one of many lakes and and I, I love living on the lake too. You know, my parents live on a lake too. But um when we moved here, we decided that we were going to pay with cash. So we looked at uh, houses that were in our range. We found one on a river really close to the hospital, uh, and that worked out well. But uh, I, I certainly know other physicians who have spent double, triple, or more uh, than we did on a home, and and we love our home, you know. But, yeah, the car thing, yeah, big, you know, it's the big things. One house, one spouse, you know, because yes. uh, you, you can really lose a lot of money on on those particular choices that you make. All right, my friends. Well, that will wrap it up for today. Physician on Fire really brought some great stuff. I I really enjoy talking to him. And in this next episode, when you tune in in the next week, you will discover in part two the financial mistake that he made early that he would never recommend to anyone. So hint, it's real estate related. So tune in for that. You're going to love it. For the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, this is Dave Denniston. Thank you, my friends, so much for tuning in, for listening for a bit. And remember, we are trying to accomplish creating 100 new physician multimillionaires. So let me know how I can help you on that journey. Make sure to reach out to me, Dave, at drfreedompodcast.com. Thank you again. Have a good one. Bye-bye.